Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Today, I am joined by Kat Teller. Kat is the founder of Kat Teller Health and Wellness Services, a sought-after certified addictions counselor, certified personal and professional coach, yoga and meditation teacher, and podcaster. Kat is certified with the Canadian Addictions Counselors Certification Federation, CACCF, and the International Coaching Federation, ICF. Working globally with individuals, families, and groups, Kat has a strong passion for helping others align and thrive from the inside out using a compassionate and holistic approach to health and wellness. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice with each and every episode. This episode, the organization is called, and please forgive my stupid American pronunciation, Dan LaRue. Kat is based in Montreal, and so she is uh, raising awareness for a French organization. And uh, my pronunciation aside, Don LaRue is a wonderful organization that supports uh, people that are homeless. So please join me in donating. Any and all donations and contributions make a difference. And this conversation doesn't really center on one particular topic, although when I initially reached out to Kat, I was particularly interested in addiction and recovery. And while I have never been clinically diagnosed with addiction of any kind, I believe that we all struggle in some ways with trying to numb away things that we don't want to experience. So I reflect in a part of this conversation on especially in high school, college, and my very early professional years, how a way of avoiding my feelings and the things I wanted to stuff away was through drinking and partying and even doing drugs like cocaine. I was never addicted to them, but I was more reliant on them than I would have liked to be. And so in this conversation, we unpack why that is and how Kat provides support for her patients and clients when they come to her. I love her approach with giving very small and steady incremental ways of improvement. There's, it's very easy to get caught in the binary all or nothing approach to behavior change. And Kat has a very approachable style about her in as much as She's very good at meeting the client where they are and helping to formulate a plan where they are going to succeed. We also dabble in, you know, my background is in holistic health coaching and Kat is a holistic coach of sorts. So we dabble a little bit around nutrition, movement, dance, yoga, all the other ways that contribute to our wholeness and to our feeling most alive. So I will try and keep the rest of the preamble short. Let's let Kat take it from here. But before that, settle in, take a deep breath. 
and enjoy what Kat has for us. Hi, Kat. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, to the listener, if it sounds like I just got back from the spa, it's because in a way I kind of did. Before we jumped on, Kat led a beautiful meditation. So before we even get into anything, I already want to invite you to check out Kat on uh, Insight Timer, her meditations. But that aside, Kat, I start every interview by asking, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? That's such a good question. Growing up at the dinner table, I would say there's a lot of a lot of really interesting conversation. I would say from like a very young age, just very curious, curious to understand, to know, to just, yeah, I guess kind of search for meaning. So mm -hmm. that that's something that I've, I've carried throughout my entire life is just kind of being a searcher, a seeker of, of knowing. And, and so I could remember at a very young age, just being like a very, very curious kid. And yeah, like, being intrigued, asking lots of questions, being very, very talkative and inquisitive, for sure. Mm. Did you have a, a clear idea of what you wanted to be? Like, I, I remember as a child, when I was really little, I wanted to be a basketball player. That was my hopes and dreams were to be a basketball player. Did you did you have a dream aspiration for the adult you wanted to be the career you wanted to have? I think as a kid, or maybe not as a kid, but like a young per, like a young, yeah. Some anyway, not not too not super super young, but maybe I guess around twelve, thirteen. I started having an interest in maybe wanting to pursue law, mm -hmm. becoming a lawyer. Later on, a little bit in, I guess actually in high school, I got I did a bit of like the debating team, and then. Uh, later on in college was the president of the student union. So I was, I guess, interested in politics and law and all that. But deep down underneath all of that, I think I just had a genuine desire to want to help people and be of service. That that was always something that was there for me. I didn't know exactly like what it would look like, but but very much always had a deep interest in, yeah, being of service, supporting others, helping others. Mm-hmm. And through the years, it got clearer. But yeah, always kind of had a sense that, that that was the direction I wanted to go into. Uh, is that the when you went to I'm guessing you went to college, I don't want to make any assumptions when when you went to university was that did you major in law? Did you major in psychology? So how it works? So I'm from Montreal. And how it works here is we have so there's high school, then there's Seja, which is college. And then there's university. So when I was in college, which is, it's two years, stage up, I did, I studied uh, political science and then like, and the program was, was specialized in, in law and society. So I studied that. And then when I went into university, I didn't major in that. I ended up pursuing a degree in human relations, which is very much focused around I would say psychology and understanding human systems. So a lot of folks that do a degree, I mean, there's a lot you can do with human relations, but essentially it's with the interest of helping people and being interested in, in humans and how 
the mind works and how we connect and yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if we fast forward to what you do today, I, I would say, I don't know actually how you would describe yourself. It would, is it coach therapist, kind of a blend of both? I know that you work in addiction and do recovery work. Could you say a little bit about where you are today and, and what brought you to this field? Yeah, so I'm an addictions counselor. I'm a certified coach. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher. I'm also a podcaster. So I, I wear many different hats. Mm -hmm. I certainly do work a lot with with people and within the addictions field. But the great thing about the coaching is it certainly complements the counseling work. But I also have clients that come to see me because they're in a transition, they're making a career shift, they're just looking for clarity on maybe a personal or professional level. So um, it's kind of fun for me because I have these two, which are just two areas that I find they kind of balance each other out because sometimes the addictions work can be, as you could probably imagine, quite intense. Mm -hmm. So having having the coaching as well is really nice, but I, I also use the coaching a lot with clients that are seeing me for substance use or misuse. So yeah. And how did I get into the work? Well, that's really interesting. I, so for many years I was, I was managing a yoga studio. So I've always been in the health and wellness field. I had taken, it was great because when I was in that position, I had taken various different teacher trainings, yoga teacher trainings and meditation and got really interested in all of the somatic work and kind of alternative holistic healing modalities. And then fast forward, there was a lot of shifts happening within the studio. The studio was moving, blah, blah, blah. I ended up with all the shifts happening. The <clears throat> my I was let go. The position was no longer needed. And I, at the time, kind of felt like I was getting this internal nudge that I wanted to maybe, there was something else I wanted to offer. And I kept coming back to how can I be of service? How can I continue helping people? And at the time, I can't remember how many years in, but I'm myself, I'm somebody who's in recovery. I just celebrated 10 years. But at the time I was connecting with a friend of mine who started reaching out, who knew, I, I guess I was in this transition, who has a, a recovery agency. Basically, he's an interventionist and he offers sober coaching and case management and other various different services within the uh, recovery and addictions field. And so he started reaching out to me, just offering me the opportunity to work and do some sober coaching. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that, started kind of flying all over here and there, supporting clients. And through that, realizing how much I loved it. And that really gave me the confidence at that point to go back to university, pursue the coaching certification. And basically from there, the rest is history. I started coaching and then from there decided, okay, I really like, I'm really enjoying working within the addictions field. Went back, did a post-grad in addictions counseling, and it's just sort of unfolded very organically. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, congratulations on 10 years. What a wonderful milestone for you. And you can answer this in either way. I, I, it doesn't have to be your personal tools that you've used, but I'm, I'm guessing there's a big overlap between ways that you were able to help yourself 
with addiction and, and recovery and ways that you support clients and in terms of practices. So you've already, I think you've named several already. There's meditation, there's yoga, there's the breath, but I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what do you find helpful when people probably don't feel like there's a ground under them or what, what allows them to feel supported and to feel like there's hope and there's a, there's a way out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, looking back at the time when I was going through my own recovery process, I didn't realize it at the, at the time, but now I could say that the, cause again, I was just sort of doing it intuitively. It seems and we know so much now, there's so much research out there that proves just that, you know, the body stirs a lot of tension and stress and and trauma and all of that, but how, how healing somatic work can be. And so here I was, you know, working at the studio, doing these teacher trainings, practicing yoga and meditation pretty much on a, on a daily basis, had a very disciplined practice and started to notice the shift and the change and started to notice how supportive these these practices were for my own recovery for my own mental health and so everything that i offer and everything that i do with clients i have used or continue to use for myself so i really believe that you know it's it's important to practice or to offer from and all i can really do is offer from my own experience but and so that's that's what works worked for me. And that's what I share. So it's the way I work with clients is certainly a, a holistic, I have a holistic approach and, and way just because we are holistic beings, you know? So I think it's important to look at us as a whole, right? How are we doing mentally? How are we doing physically? What does our social life look like? What does our family life look like? So identifying kind of all those areas, I think is really important for a comprehensive healing and recovery process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you probably wouldn't know this about me, but I actually am a holistic health coach by certification. I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And so I, I have a very similar philosophy and ideology about what it means to be whole, what it means to be fulfilled and alive, really. And yeah, I, I think one of the greatest lessons I took from doing that certification is that if you look at the the tool that we had there was called the circle of life. And it's similar to what you started to outline. You can look at your home environment, your career, your finances, spirituality. There's all these different legs that I think our mind likes to think of as separate. And we might have our quote unquote, our shit together in one area, but we are completely lost in another area. And I'm, I'm naming all of this because I think it could be helpful for someone like me. I, I feel like my life is really together in a lot of areas. And there's a couple of things that I need to tidy up. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And as a holistic counselor, I'm, I'm wondering, how do you help people? I don't know, I guess, arrive at that insight when, when they are working with you arrive to a place of realizing that like wherever you go, there you are type of thing and how you do everything is. Yeah. 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 That's such an interesting question. I, you know, I really start to, I meet clients where they are. I think that's important first and foremost to say that 
you know, I won't, pu- I won't push clients to go anywhere that they don't want to go. And I really, you know, one of the first steps in the process is to figure out and identify like what, what their personal goals are, whether that's within the, the counseling or the coaching framework. But what's interesting is it sort of, I don't even have to bring that to ret- their attention. It sort of happens naturally through the process where we begin to chip away the layers, right? So for example, somebody who's coming to see me maybe for substance use, right? And right away, their goal is they just want to abstain. They don't want to use anymore. They want to just abstain. So we start working on on their abstinence. And then from there, once we create that foundation, a lot of the other areas just come up naturally, right? Social life, what does their career look like? What does their financial situation look like, right? And so it's kind of just this this very organic process that unfolds and we just naturally end up identifying and looking at all these different areas. Mm -hmm. But I think it starts with first and foremost, really going where they're ready and where they're willing to, to go. Yeah. And that, that sounds like a, a coaching type of the, the person is, is already whole as they are. There's, there's nowhere that you need to take them. It's, it's, where's the, where's the client at right now? Where do they want to go? How, how can you be, I guess, a, a vessel to help them get mirrored back what it is that they're most looking for, most, most yearning for in, in their life? Yeah. And, you know, it's through the process, right? Like they're inevitably going to be, how do I say this? Like awareness, my job is really to bring and awareness and perspective. And so through their own process of getting clearer and more honest with themselves, that's when they begin to see the other layers or maybe the other areas that they haven't wanted to look at that now they're ready to look at because it's just inevitably coming up through their own process through their own awareness so somebody may come in thinking they just need to abstain and that's all they need to do and then maybe realize later hey i don't know this friend circle is not really supporting my recovery right or oh i'm maybe shifting from i'm abstaining from from this substance but now all of a sudden i'm eating like crazy or i'm shopping like crazy or i'm dating like crazy and none of that's really supporting me Mm -hmm. right so the beautiful thing is that then that that awareness really comes from them and that's the whole point is not for me to tell them but for them to find their own inner insight and truth mm-hmm. and to learn to cultivate that and to trust that yeah one of the things and and I I did want to backtrack a little bit because I think this is really whether or not someone ostensibly is facing addiction in their life, I think this really can apply to almost everyone. And one of one of the things that I hear you naming in in your response there is that with abstinence, there might be a new placeholder that emerges, there might be a a new area like food would be a really easy one to or, or social media, places where you can now project your whatever the crutches becomes something different. And I wanted to share just a a little bit about my own journey, because I I never dealt with addiction. But I certainly, at different points in my life, my, my friends were turning their heads and going like, what's what's up with Mike? He's like, he's he's not really being himself. He's really relying on alcohol and, and substances to 
get him through social events. And yeah, I just, I wanted to share a little bit about in, in college, my, a large portion of my experience there, I went out four nights a week and every single night that I went out, it was binge drinking. I, I don't know exactly the number of drinks, but I would say six was a low amount and it was double digits on many nights. And that was Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And that probably lasted all through college. And then my first few years as a professional, every Friday, every Saturday, I wanted to go out and go out meant binge drinking. And I still wouldn't have been characterized as someone who is an alcoholic or was battling addiction, probably. But what I now have come to realize with hindsight is that social interactions, among other things, presentations, that so many things and so much of life was just incredibly overwhelming for me. I just I didn't really know how to be in my body and in the experience of being in Mike's body without turning to a substance. I remember constantly thinking if man, if I was just drunk all the time, that would be life would be a lot easier. I, I would be able to function so much better. I'm more charismatic. And eventually, that all came to a head where I realized this, I feel shit, you know, the residue of, of living a life like that is it's too much. And then I just remember how destabilizing that felt that I, it wasn't that I was consciously saying, I'm going to put down alcohol forever. But I was realizing there has to be another way for me to feel like I could be myself without relying so much on this. And I guess I'm, I'm naming all this one to just connect with, hey, there might be a listener here who's not who's never been to counseling for addiction. But I think that it's relatable for every single person. We, we all probably have ways that we don't feel safe showing up to life. And I, I guess I'm, what I'm wondering if I transition away from me and make this a question, what are some ways, and again, it could be your life or with clients or peers what are what are some baseline ways that you help someone establish safety in in those destabilizing times where you might be saying goodbye to alcohol but then there's a whole menu of a million other things that can take the place if you're not being really conscious about it mm -hmm. yeah well you know first and foremost i think it's important to state that there's there's like addiction, you can look at it like on a spectrum, right? There's, I think we all as human beings have experienced addiction to, to some level or some degree. And essentially it's really addiction or, or kind of attaching to a person, a place, a thing, uh, whatever substance is ultimately we're looking to self-soothe, right? Soothe something. So now, some people, like you described, maybe going and correct me if I'm wrong, but using using alcohol, identifying that you were consuming a lot, but it never you may have never necessarily crossed the line where where it ended up creating unmanageability or or your life like completely kind of, yeah, became yeah. Cer certainly un unmanageable, right? Mm -hmm. And so for for some, right, they can they can use this they can use a substance or, substances or things and recognize, okay, there's, there's maybe this unhealthy relationship, but it doesn't necessarily take over their life or cause 
consequences. And then, and then there's others that, that maybe do cross the line or can it identify that there have, there's been unmanageability as a result or consequences as a result. And so I think just, just to, for the listeners, right. To understand, like there's, this is a huge, like it's such a big, it's a spectrum, Mm -hmm. right. I think approaching, and this is something that I've, certainly segued and and have come to through just my own studies and 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 clinical work and whatnot realize that that this approach works a lot better is is the harm reduction approach which i will get into versus complete abstinence because yes maybe complete abstinence you know is something that a client wants but not every client may want complete abstinence or think that they need it or is are looking for that. So the harm reduction approach is really meeting the client again where they are at and looking at how can we bring more of a compassionate, welcoming, understanding approach versus you need to do this, you need to abstain. How can we minimize harm and in, as you said create a level of safety for the client or for the person that is looking for support mm-hmm. so all that to say um i think just again getting clear as to what the client's goal is and what what they want is the first step in order to create safety for them Maybe the beginning, they're not at a place where, yeah, they're willing or ready because it just seems too overwhelming to to cut out, let's say, alcohol. We'll use alcohol as, as the substance. They're not necessarily ready or they don't want to because they're getting something out of it. They might be soothing. They might be helping them with their anxiety, their stress. Who knows? And so coming in, maybe the goal at the beginning is just to look at cutting down the amount of drinks that they're having. And that could be the first step towards creating a safe, a safer environment for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Go ahead. Go ahead. Or, you know, maybe it's okay. I'm going to still drink, but I'm not going to drive. I'm going to leave my car so that I don't create harm for myself or potentially the others on the road or around me. So that's, that's, that's the harm reduction approach is how can we bring, how can we bring more safety and decrease the amount of harm to the client while respecting their goals and supporting them in their own process? Because a lot of the times, unfortunately, when clients come to see me, they're at a place where you know, they're not getting the support that they're needed. They're being shamed. They're full of guilt. They're beating themselves up and everyone around them has too. And so the last thing I would want to do is continue to, or, or in any way, make them feel that, you know, make them feel bad or, or be on, you know, be judgmental or unsupportive or any of that. One of the biggest myths and misconceptions that I see is that we as 
as a culture, as a species, we, we tend to make this about willpower, that it's just, you have to, if you want to go on a diet, you just have to want to stop eating so much. And if you want to stop drinking, you just have to, you know, just kind of bootstrap it and you'll, you'll be okay. And it's, it is not about that at all. And I think another thing that's coming up for me is I certainly in a lot of my life, I've had a tendency to go all or nothing as an approach. And it's really helpful to remember. And I don't know if you've ever read Atomic Habits, but this visual and statistic, I guess it's not a statistic, but a, a number really helps me contextualize that small steps consistently over time in the right direction compound to a massive change over time. And it doesn't need to be this massive action on day one. But if you look at 1% every day compounded over a year, so if you just improve 1% every single day over the course of a year, I don't know what the exponent comes out to at the end of the year, but it is something dr like drastically higher. It's thousands of percentiles better. Uh, the, the example I remember from elementary school is if you took a penny from day one of a month and then just doubled that for the entire month, by the end of the month, you have over a million dollars in one day, not even the accumulation of all of it. So if you just start with something small and have a, a plan in place that's consistent over time, that is... An, for me, that has been far more effective than I, I know for me, like I said, there's a big tendency to think all or nothing. And that seems to be propagated in the culture too, that overnight success and overnight shifts are something to look at. And I'm just, I'm curious how that lands for you. Is that something that you contend with, your clients contend with? And yeah. Yeah. I always say, and this is one of the quotes that my business coach, <laughs> she would always say to me, you know, you can have it all, but you just can't have it all right now. And yeah, I think it comes back to exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's, there's a lot of pressure where, you know, the change process takes time and to expect or to put, you know, 10 things on your plate that you want to change. Like that is, that could be very overwhelming for somebody. So, you know, starting with one kind of getting the momentum thing else for me, I find is really supportive for kind of that sustainable long-term change. Like, yes, maybe you can do 10 things, but is that going to be sustainable for you? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking for kind of a sustainable and a lifestyle change, like truly changing one's lifestyle, not just for a week, but as a new way of life, the process takes time. Mm -hmm. Well, as a holistic practitioner, I'm I'm always curious, this this might be a dead end, but nutrition for me has been foundational. It's been it's helped me make major shifts in terms of before I had the awareness of it or the, the language to express this. I think my first step into somatics, which you have named in this conversation, was well, when I was younger, it was probably intuitive and natural and I played sports, but the first time in my adult life that I realized my body can really be affected by what I do with it and put into it was when I started to eat healthier and do that consistently. And I'm just curious if nutrition is something that's important to you and any, is that something you support clients with? Big time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's, 
everything has an impact on us and food is huge. We are eating food. We need food every day. We need to eat every day. It's what sustains us. And so being mindful of, of what you're putting in your body is so important. And I think for me, I mean, I was always like, I grew up in a very health conscious environment and family. So I'm very grateful in that sense that I grew up always kind of having that awareness and being very drawn to that. But I would say again, kind of through my own recovery process and self-love process, really, I became even more interested in, in being super mindful of what I'm putting and consuming into my body. And because as cheesy as it sounds, like we hear that quote, like your body is your temple, right? It, it, it really, this is the vessel. This is our body is what we need in order to be able to do all the things that we want to do. And so taking care of it and, and eating properly. And, and again, that's where the exercise and sleep and all those others are so important. And I find, I don't know about you, but the healthier I've become, the less tolerant my body is for putting mm. not so healthy garbage, junk, candies, sweets into my body. So, and not to say that I'm, I'm not here to say that I'm perfect by no means. No. However, I do notice my body has become more sensitive. Yeah. So I can tell when it's feeling off or it will have a reaction if I'm putting something that isn't maybe the best in me. And it's also so interesting because I find that I've also become very intuitive. Like I, I know my body knows what it needs if it's missing something. Mm -hmm. I'll just naturally be craving it. And that's my cue. Okay. Like you guess there's there's probably a vitamin or a mineral or something in there that you're needing more of. And I also believe very much in the Ayurvedic, which I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but yeah, sort of the following the Ayurvedic lifestyle and diet as well. So trying to eat according to season. So, you know, in the winter or the colder months, leaning more towards warm soups and stews and things that are going to help kind of fuel and fire up the system. And then in the summer when it's hot outside and the sun's out, you know, then maybe leaning more towards smoothies or colder things, but adjusting so that we can live in accordance to yeah, the season and find that, that balance. Well, Kat, I would love to hear you expand just a little bit around what it doesn't have to be around Ayurvedic principles, but, and I know that we're all bio-individual and so there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach that works for every single person, but I would love to hear, I think, two things about this. How did you arrive at why that was something that was working for you? Like, was there a, a certain somatic response you were having? There's, there's any number of reasons, I guess, that you could arrive at. And just on a, a maybe a simpler, more basic level, could you just share more specifically some go-to foods that you incorporate in your diet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I just came to the awareness and understanding. Well, I mean, I, I learned and, and read and was taught, you know, about Ayurveda, especially Vedic principles and the practice through the, the yoga trainings and practices. 
it's sort of for people that are listening that maybe aren't so familiar with Ayurveda, it's the, like the sister science to yoga. And so I certainly had people around me that were living proof that were really practicing the Ayurvedic lifestyle, that it does work. But then I saw for myself, and I'm again, very much somebody who's a firm believer in needing to experiment to know. And so I started to just um, implement some of the practices, right? So the diet, for example, and, and I don't follow it to a T, but I, I am very mindful of trying again, you know, winter, colder months leading towards more warm, cooked, soupy, stewy foods. And then the summer having cooler foods, which is a great way to balance kind of the external heat that we feel. So yeah, I just, I just noticed like my energy was better. My, my digestive system was better. I felt like my, the, my thinking was clear. So just overall, just feeling a lot, a lot better, for example, and this isn't necessarily Ayurveda, but I'm very sensitive with, with sugar. And as much as I love sweets and certainly have a sweet tooth, when I put sweets in my system or I have too much of that, I notice that, yeah, my energy is not so good. My skin isn't as clear. My digestion isn't as good. So I definitely feel by making these small adjustments, it's certainly supported big time Mm -hmm. in terms of foods what can I suggest? It's a good question. I would say one of my favorite things is, and this was something that we would make at the yoga studio every day. And so we always had it going was yogi tea. And that's a nice drink that you can make at home, super simple, super easy. And it's a great way to sort of just warm up the body. It's so good for your immune system as well. So it's great to have in the fall, winter months. You can have it all year round, but anytime. And there's no caffeine either. So it's cardamoms, cinnamon, ginger, cloves, and peppercorns. So it's all, it's just five ingredients and you fill up like a big pot of water. The best thing is if you just let it simmer and allow the the flavors and the spices to develop like all day long. So the best thing is just to have it going um, you know, if you're working from home or you have a day when you're at home and just let that, you know, just let that simmer all day long, that would be one of my favorite go-tos. And the other one is ghee, which is clarified butter. Are you familiar with ghee? Yeah. 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 So that's like one of the staples for, for like in the Ayurveda diet. So ghee is amazing. So good for you. Um, you could use it to cook, like oftentimes, like I'll use it um, for cooking, but you could also put it, if, you, if you're somebody who likes oatmeal, you can mix it in your oatmeal in the morning. You can put it, I mean, you could really use it on anything. You could put it on toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ghee is delicious. There's so many different things that are alive for me right now, Kat. I just want to maybe reflect a couple things back and we'll see what direction it goes. I, I find it endlessly fascinating that if we are used to a certain unhealthy lifestyle, that our body craves that. But then at a certain point, if you, what I'm hearing in your response and what has certainly been true for me is that if you start to put the stuff that your body actually is craving, like it could be fruits, vegetables, whatever the food is that works for you. But if you're eating whole foods by and large, 
your body, uh, my body has certainly become highly sensitive to, I would call it foreign substances. If I have a glass of wine, I might feel a little bit more on edge, actually. I don't feel more at ease. And if I, the same if I eat too much for dessert or something, which is not to say that I don't ever do that, but I have now become attuned to my body enough that I just noticed that that's the effect that it has on me. It's, it's not the other way around that I used to, I don't know, react to broccoli by thinking this is disgusting and I'd have no reaction in my body. And so I, I think one of my curiosities is that sensitivity has, has come up a few times and there's sensitivity in terms of this is how my body's reacting when I eat a certain way. And I'm curious, do you know what I, are you familiar with Elaine Aaron's highly sensitive person? Well, I know about highly sensitive person and so a little bit, but I, I not, I don't have like extensive knowledge. Um, no, but I, I am familiar with, with her and she was the founder, the founder, I believe, or the, the one who coined the term highly sensitive person. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I was just curious because like, I'm a highly sensitive person. I, I always love asking is that, or have you ever identified as a highly sensitive person? And if not, sensitivity still has come up a few times in the conversation. And I'm, I'm wondering how you look at that. I, I used to look at sensitivity as a, a deficit of some kind in my life that I, I didn't want to, I don't know, I had a, it had a stingy reaction or a it just wasn't something I wanted to be, but now I look at it as a, a, a really big gift in my life. And I'm just curious to see how that lands with you. So yes, I definitely identify with being a highly sensitive person. I haven't taken like the test or anything, but from everything that I've read, 100% I am. And I think that I was just born that way. Like from a young age, I remember being told like, or yeah, just like, she's really sensitive, right? Like hearing that. And similar to you was a little bit, yeah, a little bit kind of conscientious around that. Wasn't so sure how I felt about it. And now I feel so grateful that I'm a highly sensitive person. I see like you, what a gift that is. And what a, it's like a superpower. Like I feel like one, I'm so in touch and in tune with myself, but as a result, I'm, I'm so deeply connected and in tune with the people in my life and the people, the clients that I work with. So I think it's, it's such a gift, um, for being, you know, somebody who's a helper, who's, who's in that role of, of, you know, supporting others to be so, um, in tune with, um, yeah, with my own sensitivity, it's allowed me to connect more deeply with myself and, and with the people around me. So it's certainly a gift. Are you connected with, uh, this is kind of, I'm going a little bit on my intuition here. and I don't know where this will take us, but are you familiar with uh, the whole body? Yes. And in terms of tuning into what a yes feels like somatically for you. Mm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the whole body. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I certainly have practices that help me in knowing if it's a yes or a no. And it's definitely, and somebody was, we were just talking about this yesterday, actually, it's always through, I find somatic work that I get in touch with my own knowing if it's a yes or a no. Yeah. I feel it. 
I would love to hear the practices. Yeah. And what, what it feels like. Yeah. So I, I know for me is just right away is like, I, I feel tense. So I feel tense physically can look like just, yeah. Tension in the jaw in headaches and the shoulders and the hips. So just like physically tense. And another big cue for me is my breath, my breathing. So if I'm having like shallow, like difficulty breathing, I know that there's something off back as a kid and throughout the years have, have definitely had challenges with it, challenges with it. However, now I feel that I have really good supports and tools to help me, but anxiety. And I often say this is when people have, you know, anxiety or depression or some sort of like physical manifestation like that it's really because the body is saying no ultimately and i love that our bodies and my body is just i look at it now when when something comes up and there is a restriction or I, I feel that tension i get curious about it now i'm like okay well what's going on right and it it allows me it's sort of like my compass it's my my guide for figuring out, okay, what do I need to shift here? What do I, you know, what have I said yes to that? Maybe I need to say no to, you know, what kind of boundary do I need to put into place? So 100% like physical, the physical cue is, is definitely my first like, okay, red flag. Okay. Something needs to be shifted here. And then in terms of practices that have supported me, I would say probably the biggest one has been the work of Byron Katie, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, Yes. but yeah. And so for anybody who's listening, who maybe isn't, it's really, it's just four very simple questions. So it's, it's a, it's a method. It's a process of inquiry. It's, it's a meditation essentially where you take any stressful thought, belief situation, and you take it through these four questions. So the questions are one, is it true? Two, can you absolutely know it's true? Three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And four, who would you be without the thought? And four very simple questions, but have been so deeply supportive and so profound for me and in my life and in really getting clear as to like when I am stepping away from my own integrity and truth and have helped to guide me back to finding whatever that truth is. Yeah. Byron Katie's The Work has come up so many times but as a listener of podcasts for me and on my own podcast because it's it's so simple, but you can really do that with just about any belief or, or thought that you have. Does any does anything come to mind for you of a, a recent example of I, I would love to just demonstrate what the work is in practice and, and not just the, the questions itself, but to walk through a belief or a thought that you took through the work and what what happened as a result of doing that? Mm -hmm. I guess the one that's coming up for me is, yeah, this was pretty, actually, this was a very profound aha moment for me. 
And so I, so I'm, I'm in my second trimester and I'm pregnant. And so, which is really exciting, but you know, it's so interesting. We live in this world where I feel like there's as much as pregnancy is so beautiful and birth and all of that. I've noticed just that how, how much fear there is that's instilled in, in the birthing process from society. And so the fear for me that came up was I won't be able to handle it or like, I, or I'm scared of the pain. And what I saw through taking myself through this method of inquiry is that it's not actually me that's scared of the pain. It's me taking on these stories that has created pain for me is me, myself, I am not scared of the pain, but it's just having heard and sort of absorbed other people's experiences and and all these stories that has actually been what's been painful for me in all of this. So it's like without the thought, I'm able to recognize that I'm actually, I'm calm. I'm okay. I'm trusting in the process. And so it's just interesting how when we start to question our beliefs, and this is from my own experience, I, I, I see how a lot of it isn't even mine. It's me that's just taken on other people's beliefs. You know, and for a lot of us, as you mentioned at the beginning, when we were chatting, like early years are so formative, right? So a lot of the time we just take on these beliefs because that's just what we grew up. That was sort of the paradigm that was sort of the the mindset that we grew up with in our family, from our parents, from, you know, the loved ones around us. And so the gift of the work has, for me, has really been to go back and unravel these stories and to let go of maybe the thoughts and beliefs that are just not serving me. And yeah, it's just giving me a life that's way more peaceful, way more serene, way more trusting and loving and compassionate all beautiful things well mazel tov first of all Kat. i was thank you that. that's so exciting it sounds like it builds resilience for you too right it's like hmm that belief that i have that i can't do this that's just a belief that it's a it's not me b it doesn't have to be true even if someone else believes that about me and it it seems like it actually fosters strength and resilience that yeah, the, the opposite could be true. I, I could definitely handle this. I'm, I'm a really, <laughs> I've got way more power than I give myself credit for. And what a beautiful gift that is. Absolutely. Yeah, extremely resilient. And, and that sense of feeling very empowered also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of other things that inform your work. I Maybe perhaps I can just list out a menu of different things and maybe you can you can use into your or tap into your intuition and see what feels most alive for you and and where you want to go self compassion is something that really matters a lot to me and i i know that it matters a lot to you and and frankly probably almost anyone that's in some line of helping and healing work i would hope that compassion and self compassion are at least on the radar and I, I would love to hear what that means to you. And the other direction that maybe we could go is I know that you're a big student of 
whether it's reading books and you have an array of teachers and mentors and just anything that you've learned from them that has helped you develop as a human and as a practitioner? I know that's a lot, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think what the self-compassion, what it means to me is, oh man, there's so much to say about self-compassion and, and <laughs> I always sum this up. It's about just for me, meeting myself where I'm at and whatever that may be in that, the day or the moment with kindness and love and allowing there to be a welcoming and space for everything. That to me is in essence, what self-compassion is all about, you know, like welcoming, welcoming myself and welcoming the experience, the sensation, the feeling with open arms, without any judgment. And just meeting myself with that, wherever that is. And asking myself often, you know, what is it that I need to feel safe, supported, at ease in this moment? Mm. And giving myself that flexibility to adjust accordingly. Yeah, that, that that's what I would say. Yeah, if I had to sum it up, that's what compassion looks like. I think it's easy to fall into the trap of believing. I, I certainly do sometimes that if I, a lot of times I hear the word compassion, not so much anymore because I'm just more and more immersing myself in compassion being something that's active and not complacent or passive. But I think there's a fear from people who are type A, who are driven, who want to do things that compassion leads to complacency. And that if I'm just being, if I'm being kind to myself, if I'm meeting myself where I am, that's, uh, there is a belief that I have, and I know is common with a lot of people that like cracking the whip on yourself is the way that shit gets done. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering how that, how that lands with you. And if you could share how self-compassion doesn't actually lead to lack of productivity, it leads to probably more sustainable uh, energy and I, I have an aversion to productivity but it probably does lead to more productivity as well I think it does ultimately and for sure as you said like there's a lot of people it's a, it's a common belief right of yeah I gotta I gotta be able I need to be sort of I can't be too lenient or too loving or too compassionate I'm not gonna get things done right and it's so interesting because with the coaching modality, right? It's a lot, it's very action oriented, you know, it's very results oriented, which is great. Like it's great because, you know, you can really move towards your goals and, and get really laser focused and, and propel forward. But what I saw, it's interesting when I, when I was, you know, I'm applying my own coaching to my own life. Like I saw a little bit of that happening, like, Hey, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really like, this coaching is great, but I'm like, there isn't much compassion here and I'm not taking enough breaks and I'm, and I'm, and I'm going and I'm achieving a lot, but I'm not taking so much time to maybe sit back and celebrate and kind of just enjoy the, all of the results that are happening. Right. So I think bringing that compassion of, 
you know, being able to stay focused and have, have a goal and a vision, which is, I think so important for, for us all, but integrating that compassion to it, right. Knowing when, you know, I'm going to put my effort and my energy and knowing when I'm going to take a break, knowing when I'm going to slow down, knowing when to say no. Right. So I think it's that balance. It's like kind of integrating compassionate coaching to our own lives. Right. So that we can, yeah, we can still, we can still move forward. We can, you know, go towards the things that we want and, you know, nothing wrong with that, but, or, and at the same time, just adjusting to life, right. And the things that come up and I think that's what resilience is all about. Right. Yeah. My journaling practice sounds very similar to what you're describing in as much as I get to be the, the space holder and the coach for myself that holds the, the compassionate space that I would probably be holding for my clients, but that is a little more elusive with myself. And for whatever reason, when I start to get stuff down on paper, it, I find it so much easier to distance myself from my thoughts and my beliefs and also to be kind to myself. I don't, I don't find very often during the day that I'm having the thought, good job, Mike. I'm really proud of the way you accomplished that. But when I take the time to journal for even just 10 minutes and reflect on what went well in, in the day past or what, what I'm looking forward to in the day ahead or beyond, it's, I find it very healing to be able to provide that space for myself, even just a, just a few minutes. That doesn't even have to be 10. It really makes a huge impact on the way that the energy that I'm able to show up with in, in my life. A hundred percent. Yeah. I try to do like a daily gratitude journal mm-hmm. and that helps big time to just really like one to reflect and just kind of go over the day, but to notice all the wins that happen that we don't necessarily remember or pay attention to that happened throughout the day as well and yeah journaling gratitude all of that is so helpful well there's probably so many other things that we haven't already discussed today i'm pretty sure dancing is something that's important to you and i'm wondering if there's anything we haven't spoken about that you feel is a a part of your work or or what helps you come most alive in your life Mm. I think we covered quite a bit. I, yeah, I'm trying to think if if there's anything else, but I feel like we, yeah, we named quite a bit of, quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in one of the, we'll move towards the back end here. In one of the word vomits I threw at you before, I asked a, a little bit about mentors, coaches that you've worked with, perhaps. I'd be curious if, you don't have to share all of them, but is there anyone who has been, who's top of mind right now, who's been most formative for your development and what was it about their, it, it doesn't even have to be a one-on-one in person or anything like that. Maybe it was a book, but anything that helped shape the way that you see the world now. I have like so many different, you know, supports and mentors and people in my personal life but also we're so lucky just with the amount of just tools and resources and books that we have access to I feel so grateful for that like the yeah being able to access so much knowledge and wisdom 
I would say for me, kind of the, maybe to start off with like people that have been very kind of supported me and have left like a big impact on, on me and continue to support and offer me like insight and guidance, guidance and wisdom would be, she's passed away, but my grandmother, she was a huge, she had a big, she left a huge like impact and, and was somebody who I very much uh, admire, continue to admire and, and love just for her, her, her warmth, her kindness, her generosity. She was somebody who never complained and never spoke badly about anyone. And just, I really admire her, her integrity and her value system. And that was something that was certainly passed on to me. Cheryl Keats, my business coach who a mentor, she was somebody who helped me a lot at the beginning of when I was, you know, creating my business and helping to kind of get everything into place, all of the systems, all of that. So she's been, uh, she's been huge for me. And it was her that I learned about Bob Proctor, who for some of you may know him. He was a lot of people remember him from the secret, the movie and the book. And he was one of the the people that was showcased in, in that film and in the book. And so he, he's a coach. Um, he passed away actually this past year, but his work has certainly supported me both personally and professionally. Who else? Melanie Richards, who is one of my yoga teachers. I did, I think four out of five or three out of five of my teacher trainings with her and have learned so much from her throughout the years. She's a dear friend as well. And as somebody who just has so much love and wisdom and compassion and and really lives a life of service of giving so much and teaching so much and somebody who I really admire a lot. Another mentor of mine, her name's Mandy Wolf. She's also been on my podcast. She's one of the co-founders of Mandy's Salads, which is a salad restaurant chain here in Canada. And yeah, just somebody who, again, just super positive, such great vibes. She's so hardworking and just has such an incredible outlook and positivity about her and, and is just so genuine and and caring and again somebody who really lives a life of service so I certainly have you know I'm, I'm really grateful that I have and I'm connected with great supports and mentors in my day-to-day life and I always think it's important to highlight that because it's like yes maybe I have done it or I am where I am because I put in you know the work but I didn't do this alone either. And that's actually one of my favorite quotes is that Brene Brown quote that I have, and I have it on my website. It's, you know, we don't have to do it all alone. We were never meant to. And so I think it's important to highlight that this process and kind of my journey has been very much supported by, by, you know, amazing people around me that have helped me get there. In terms of books, I am an avid reader I love books. I love anything kind of self-help, spirituality, anything like that. I would say the ones that stand out the most, The Alchemist, that that one I read years ago. 
and just had such an impact on me. Anything by Tara Brock. I absolutely love Tara Brock. And if anybody who's interested in diving into more kind of self-compassion, she is amazing with that topic. Who else? If anybody's interested in the work and wants to learn a little bit more about the work and the process of inquiry, um, Loving What Is is a great introduction to the work. So I would say that book as well. And yeah, those are the ones that are kind of just at the top of my mind. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that. Uh, one of my favorite things about our field, uh, at least in, in my experience of coaching as a profession and as a field is that it doesn't ever feel like I'm in competition with other other peers and other colleagues. Uh, coaching is very much there seems to be a shared commitment to service and that this is bigger than ourselves. And it really cultivates generosity, service, abundance in a way that a lot of other fields, I, I just haven't really gotten that experience. It, it's looked at in a binary, if I get a piece of business, that's that's less business for you. And if you get a piece of business, less for me. I haven't come across many, if any, and no one's coming to mind right now, coaches who are looking to get a leg up on the competition or look at it as a a zero sum game of any kind. And that's what I'm what I'm hearing is that you've had the the wonderful privilege of working with mentors who have showed you, a, you know, shared shared their abundance and their gifts and their service with you and have allowed you to flourish and grow and that um, you're, you're paying it forward. It sounds like you've done that your whole life with those, like a curiosity of mine that I was going to ask is, you said that your grandma instilled a lot of values in you and you did talk of, about kindness and compassion and service all of which have come up multiple times in this conversation but i'm wondering because i know it's a popular exercise for coaches to do do you have a, a couple of core values that are most aligned for you mm -hmm. i think the ones that we just listed and honesty mm -hmm. you know living in integrity. So integrity is another value, respect. And another one would be playfulness. Hmm. Yeah. So just, you know, cause life can get serious. Right. And especially with, with, you know, I mean, coaching and, and, and counseling addictions work, all of that, it can get pretty serious. And so value that I love by is certainly is joy. How can I bring, you know, light to my day, to my life, you know? So whether that's like comedy for me is like a great way I find just to, yeah, have a good laugh. Like where can I bring some humor? Not, not, not to not take, you know, things seriously. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, a place for that, but also to remember to have fun, you know, enjoy the ride, enjoy the process and to integrate ways to yeah just find the joy you know to make time for play for all of those things that I think bring light and a sense of yeah spark in our in our lives so Always. comedy dancing music I find super helpful connection with friends just having a nice meal you know with uh, a loved one or friends family you know, all, all, all of those are, 
I find great ways to connect back to like joy and happiness. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's so common that we need that reminder to play and to, to be and to experience joy. So I, I appreciate you naming that. It's one I come back to all the time. Your Instagram is full of quotes that I love. I'm, I'm curious if you have any favorites, uh, not to put you on the spot, but is there, is there anything that comes to mind? You, you already named a Brene Brown quote. I think you've probably had a couple more in the conversation, but do you have any favorites, go-tos, and if not quotes, do you have any favorite uh, totems or things that you keep close by as, as reminders for yourself? Mm-hmm. I guess the one I have so many because I find quotes are such a great way to draw a lot of they're um, a way that I feel inspired and I find that they're also really helpful to yeah sometimes just anchor in like a, a a theme right or be able to anchor my mind somewhere right on a concept on a quote on a something the one that and this is actually from a book that I absolutely love and it's come up this week so I'll mention it now is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called A Man's Man Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor and he wrote this book. And one of his quotes is, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it's in between stimulus and response, there's, there's a space. And in that space, there's an opportunity to choose. And that is the freedom, essentially. So Again, totally paraphrasing, but in essence, what he highlights, what I think is so important is that we do have choice and there's a freedom in how we respond to a situation. And it's it's really in between that stimulus and that response that there is that space. So stimulus meaning there might be a moment, a conversation, or something that triggers me, right? So that's that stimulates me, that triggers me. And then there's that space. And that's where the freedom lies of how I choose to respond. So I think that's just like a really helpful reminder because it brings me back to that, that place of, of self-empowerment, right? Like I have choice to how I want to respond to this situation or this person or this thing, you know, I could, I could react or I could respond. Yes. And and that's what I love so much about coming back to the mindfulness and the meditation practice is that it's such a helpful way to cultivate that, right? Like that space of just basking in that, yeah, that space between stimulus and response. And for me, it's really helped to create more of that space and more of that awareness of, you know, getting still, noticing how I'm feeling, noticing the, the sensations that are coming up. And then also making that empowered choice of how I want to respond. Mm -hmm. It's something that you were speaking about earlier in the conversation as well, where, where you're bringing that curiosity to your experience of the moment where you, if you go, what's, what's that all about that in and of itself is creating the, the distance and agency and choice that you're speaking about there. It's a quote that I come back to very often myself. The podcast is, it's the namesake of the podcast, Man's Search for Meaning, the book, of course. and the Right. Podcast, Hello. Mike's Search for Meaning. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, yes. It's no coincidence, Kat. No coincidence. Yes. It's, and it's yeah. one of the most popular books for really good reason. And it's, I, I've read it twice. It is on my bookshelf at all times. 
anyway, putting putting that aside, just a couple more questions for you. It's been such a fun conversation so far, and these are more. Uh, they don't have to be rapid fire answers, but just a couple of the quick hitters that I usually end my interview with. What's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? I love this question. <laughs> I think what brings me joy would be preparing my cup of tea in the morning. I love it. I love coming downstairs and there's like this quiet and stillness of the morning, right? And just boiling the water and pouring the tea and letting it sit for a few minutes and then getting my, I often like I'll, I'll put, you know, a splash of oat milk and a little bit of honey and just mixing that. And then I go and I sit in the fall and the winter on the couch by the fireplace and I watch the fire and I sip on my tea and I have that alone time and in quiet where I can just, yeah, like get still and check in with myself and kind of just prepare for the day. And that's just a moment that I cherish so, so, so much that brings me so much joy and I love it. Wonderful. Yes. There's, there's nothing better for me. It's the the hot cup of coffee in the morning with MCT oil. There's uh, it it's, it's hard to describe how good it feels to just have that ritual of the, the first sip of something in the morning. So I, I really relate to what you're saying. What would folks be surprised to learn about you? Hmm, that's a really good question. What would they su be surprised to learn about me? That is, that's a tough one. Cause I feel oh, like yeah. I'm, well, I feel like I'm such an open book, but let's see. Well, Okay, here's something super random, but growing up, so my dad and my brother are allergic to shellfish. So growing up, just we we never had shellfish in the house, and I was I was never accustomed to eating it, and so just never never had it. And then when I met my husband, he's he loves like all food. He's he's such a foodie. He's an incredible cook, but he also loves seafood, and so he helped me to explore and try different types of shellfish and seafood. And so I guess the thing that maybe people don't know about me is that I only started enjoying seafood and shellfish very later on in my life, but I absolutely love it now. And it's just like this incredible turnaround from somebody who was like, so pretty much scared of it to now just like, just loving it. So I would say that's kind of a random little fun fact about me. Yeah. Yeah, what I was expecting you to say, but I, I welcome any and all answers. That's a it's great. That's why I asked the question, right? I mean, I, I am surprised to learn that about you. What is a go to of yours when you're feeling stuck? If you're like, if you're feeling like the, the ground is coming out from underneath you, do you, do you have any go to practices or, or people you turn to anything at all? Mm -hmm. I would say like my top go to's would be taking a walk in nature. So I find just it's so soothing and calming for the central nervous system just to walk in general, but yeah, getting, getting to trees, getting close to like where I could connect with, with nature is super helpful and just breathing in that fresh air. And I find just like switching up the scenery. So often just kind of getting, looking at a different landscape is so helpful to just kind of shift the attention and focus to something else. So yeah, that would be one of my go-tos. Often it's doing a yoga practice. Again, just like connecting with the body, with the breath, or picking up the phone and calling a friend, reaching out to a loved one. Yeah. yeah. 
those are definitely like my three go-tos. All great practices. Okay, so before I ask my very final question, Kat, where would you invite folks to connect with you, check out your work or anything at all, any direction you'd want to point listeners to? I think the best way would be to visit my website, so catteller.com. There's also the Instagram page, so catteller.wellness. But all that, if they go to the website, catteller.com, they can, it's a great landing page. They can find everything there to connect and stay in touch. Awesome. And I'll link specifically to your podcast as well, the conversations with Kat. And also, actually, before the very, very final question, you wanted to raise awareness for the organization Dans La Rue. Is that, did I pronounce it correctly? Dans La Rue. Yes. Could you just say a little bit about what the organization is, what why it matters to you? I, I would love to, I will be donating to and, and raising awareness for, I, I hope the listener does the same. Thank you so much. Yeah, so Dans La Rue, it's a local organization here in Montreal, and they they support youth that are living homeless, the homeless community, so living on the streets, but specifically youth. And yeah, I just, it's, it's an organization that I've always felt very connected to. And I just, you know, especially that, that age, you know, I think back of being, being a youth, being a teenager and how that was just such a turbulent time for a lot of us, but how especially vulnerable that, that would be if you're, if you're a youth and you're also homeless and especially here in the winter, it's, it's really cold. And so it's, it's certainly a challenge to be, you know, homeless, especially, I mean, at any time, but in those colder months. And so my heart really feels extremely connected and close to that, that organization. Yeah. Well, forgive my, my silly American accent and inability to pronounce it. Dans la Rue. Dans la Rue. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing my best. But thank you for bringing that into our awareness. And I, I really do hope that everyone will join me in, in donating. It's a beautiful, beautiful cause. And it warms my heart that you're bringing it here. And the final question, Kat, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I would love to know in your terms, in your words, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? Hmm meaningful what it means to live a meaningful life would be to me just a a life of purpose a life of purpose to myself to the people around me so I think meaningful meaning that there's intention right I'm 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 again an active participant and intentional with my time with my with the people that I surround myself with with you know, the people that I'm serving with just, yeah, really being intentional with how I decide to curate my life, you know, life, life is, it goes by so fast and and time is something that we all have, but how we use it is up to us. And so I think just doing the best I can to really be intentional and purposeful with how I, yeah, I spend my time and and serve and connect to those around me. Well, Kat, thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show. I I admire the way that 
in, in the way that I aspire to be as a coach, I admire the way that you are really taking in everything that contributes to humanity and, and what contributes to our wholeness. We, we covered so much ground today. We, we talked nutrition, we talked addiction, we talked compassion. We, we didn't even get into a lot of the other stuff. We didn't do a deep dive into yoga, embodiment, somatics, but I really experience you to be someone who is interested in humanity in, in such a way that you, you know all the different intersections that can contribute. And I see holistic as a term that is thrown around a little haphazardly these days that people are just calling themselves coaches too, frankly. <laughs> holistic and coaches are just two words that people are kind of hijacking. But in the truest sense of the word, I, I really experience you to be a, a wonderful holistic coach. And that's why I reached out to you in the first place. So thanks for joining me and for sharing more about you and your gifts with my audience today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and uh, really grateful for this time. Me too. And uh, to all the listeners, whenever you're listening, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day or rest of your evening and take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.